Welcome to One More Turn, where we take one more turn with the classic games that were impactful in our lives. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And Kevin, joining us this week to talk Final Fantasy X2 is games games writer, games professor, overall awesome, wonderful, fantastic person, Dr. Todd Harper is here. Hello, Todd. Hi. Wow. That was... Wow. <laughs> It's a long intro. I, mean, I know. It was, it was Part of me is just like intro. Uh, maybe I should have given him something that started to go to embarrassing places after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that great, to be honest. I mean, I'm pretty okay. But thank you for thanks for joining us, Todd. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm awake. <laughs> so yeah. So we are talking Final Fantasy Ten Two X Two Ten Two. We say Ten Two, right? 102. I, 102. Okay. I bounce uh, back and forth between the two. Todd, why? Uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of curious why you, you picked this game. You know, a, a sequel to a much, I don't want to say much maligned, but somewhat maligned uh, uh, game or, or iteration. Really? 10 gets maligned. Yeah, 10 gets maligned. I like it. I like it. We all like it, but 10 gets maligned. So yeah. I have been, I'm, uh, I'm approaching 40 soon. So I have been playing video games for a very long time, or at least what feels like to me, you know, since I was six or seven and the Atari 2600 came into my home, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am, I am in fact, a game a games professor, so they are my career, too. And every time someone's like, so what's your favorite game? I, like, lock up. Like, I have a, a, a serious anxiety attack, or I did for a long time, and I'm just like, it's, it's... It's Sonic the Mario Kong. And then I just try to find a way out of the conversation as fast as possible. So eventually I just started answering Final Fantasy X-2. And to be honest, to this day, it is the game where someone says, so what's your favorite game? I just say it immediately. It, it has become my go-to answer for what is my favorite game of all time. Why so? so? I mean, why so? Is it just because you don't want the to have a conversation after that point? You just shut the conversation <laughs> down. <laughs> you just the person just gets that blank look. Oh man, no! There are so many better games I could deploy if the only thing I wanted to do was to immediately shut the conversation down. <laughs> right? Like, what's that Matt Hazard game? That's like just a. I could bust that out, maybe. Sonic Spinball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you know, Sonic Boom now, right? Like, oh, I'm a big fan of Sonic Boom. For reals. No, outfits. Mostly outfits. That's, well, right, that's, only, right. that's only a little bit of a fake answer. Honestly, that would be enough to convince me. Uh-huh. I, have, I have spent more time in The Sims character creator than I have in the actual game itself for just that very reason. There was a, yeah, I realized there was a point in my life as well where or I realized there was a point that because the amount of time that I spend in character creators that, oh, I might actually like clothing and like, shall we say, uh, unconventional fashion because that's really all you get to choose from. Uh, actually, this morning I spent a lot of time looking up asymmetric uh, clothing designs, and I have been losing my mind because a lot of people have some very odd ideas as to what asymmetrical means. Does like it mean that what? The pe- like it's just like the the like only the belly is covered? Or <laughs> <Are we talking laughs> like to the tune of this is actually symmetrical, and you really literally don't know what asymmetrical means. That or? has come up. Yes. 
<laughs> there have been, you know, of course, there. I was looking for designs um, or like geometric patterns that just that were different across that were just different across across my weird bod, and instead I was getting where the length was different based on each side. Like the left side of of a shirt was about a foot longer than the than the other side. Okay, so I just went to Google Images and typed in asymmetrical clothing. <laughs> what I am mostly seeing is curtains. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. This is just impossibly tall, impossibly thin women wearing curtains. Like, that is pretty much the summary of this Google image results. Oh, and a really unhappy guy in a plaid jacket that is not even remotely asymmetrical. <laughs> One collar is longer than the other. I mean, right? Is that, oh, what, no. is that the doing the jacket? Here's someone in Bowie eyeliner who's uh, appears to be wearing like that smock that they put on you to cut your hair. Oh, I'm in for that. So let's let's talk a little bit. Let's talk about Final Fantasy X two. What were what were your initial impressions of the game? This was what back in back in two thousand three. Yeah, or even earlier actually. So I wrote a blog post about the outfits of Ten two called Dress for Success, and one of the images in that blog post is um, the very first promo art of Ten two that came out, and it's kind of so the game starts at a concert, right? And the first piece of promo art was us looking up like one of those bonkers stairways that stadiums have, right? That are like super narrow and super dark. And we can kind of see figures off in the distance. And then Yuna, the heroine of Final Fantasy X, is standing there in booty shorts and a white lace top holding guns, looking back at us over her shoulder with this kind of like, sup boys, like look on her face. And I remember that piece of art coming out and me looking at it and going, what the hell is this? Right? Like, most people thought it was fake. Because to that point, no Final Fantasy had had a sequel. So to that point, everyone was like, that can't be right. (laughs) Yuna's not wearing hot pants, is she? We're gonna have a character as the high as the high summoner as a, you know the character who is like the big like a, a like a major religious symbol in the game like oh you know what we're done with that we're done with that nonsense anymore which I guess kind of makes sense given that like that's kind of the premise of the first game right is about destroying the the imprint I guess the imprinted and corrupted religion in the first right yeah yeah pretty much and I mean ten two is kind of a story about Yuna going you know what. But seriously, no. So you just saved the world. What are you going to do now? I'm going to put on hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put on some hot pants, do her breath Britney impersonation, and just, you know, just start singing to the world. Go on a, go on a world tour. Right? I mean, that's that's what you would just do it, right? Your world Accurate tour. so far. Yeah. <laughs> But no, when like a lot of other fans, when it was first, when that first piece of promo art was announced, the game that I would eventually come to think of as my favorite game ever, uh, I looked at that and I was like, "Oh, that's fake as hell." <laughs> it's like there's there's no way that's real. So when was the when was the point when you realized that it was real? When we actually started to see like screenshots as opposed to promo art. And we actually saw Yuna with her two guns. And there was... <laughs> so those guns have a name from her gunner dress sphere. They're actually called the Tiny Bee. Which I think is great. But here's even better. 
When Ten Two came out in Japan, they released a PlayStation Two controller in the shape of Yuna's gun. Why don't huh? we get cool shit like that? Like, what is what is wrong okay. with us? As much as I love those guns, I don't think they needed to be a PlayStation controller. But no, there How was, does the shape was a, even yeah. work? Uh, there was. I really don't know. I don't think we got them here. Maybe, no. Thank God, right? Because I didn't need to spend that money. No, but no, it's also we're gonna turn file like maybe if they wanted to turn turn the game into a, maybe a, a light gun rail shooter, then perhaps. But. Which, oh, this is just going to be a sim. This is just going to be a symbolic controller in this case, pretty much. Yeah. But I'm not sure what it's symbolizing, and I think that's a very dark path to go down. <laughs> we'll be right sure. back on one more turn. Welcome back to One More Turn, where we're talking Final Fantasy X2. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. I've been told that I can say that I'm Todd. So so this Aww. week, Jim and Todd, like, like you guys are saying, we're playing Final Fantasy X2. Uh, just to give a brief, brief, quick history of it. Uh, released in March of 03. Uh, originally, you know, the sequel was t- off 10, two years after the original came out. And like I, like I was saying, uh, like we were talking about, first direct sequel of Final Fantasy. I think that's kind of important because I think this one set up them uh, basically in all future games milking their franchises as, as much as humanly possible. Like, like they don't create 13. They create 13, 1, 2, and 3. They don't create 14. They create like an entire trilogy out of every sequential Final Fantasy now. Well, that, but that, that, that has skipped quite a few of them, right? Well, they even went back, though. They went back and made sequels to four. They made the whole dirge of. They made the whole world around seven. Stop, hold on, stop the presses right right now. Uh, what? I must have really been out on Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy history. Hold on. I'm saying as a business model, they they this this changed it for Square. This game. Okay. Mm. All right. Sorry, you can continue. I... <laughs> so like before I might have thoughts on this once you're once you're done. Yeah, I do as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so like they create ten two, and then now there's more emphasis on, or at least immediately following, they've had more emphasis on like creating say thirteen, and then having five other games around it, or like twelve. They create twelve in mind with a Game Boy Advance prequel in mind as well. Like there's more like we're gonna milk every single numbered iteration as much as we possibly can. I don't think they really did that a ton before 410 and 102. I don't like the term milking. Uh, <laughs> okay. I really don't. Among um, other things it has very awkward visual language. Just does <laughs> <laughs> not send me to the best place as a visual thinker. Yeah, oh god. Uh because one thing that that Final Fantasy games have been known for, I guess dating back to what Final Fantasy 4, I Final like Final Fantasy 4 I think was Maybe six was like the first one that that really that where the characters in the game were the ma- were basically the selling. It was the driving force of the game. Is that there were characters that were recognized, say recognizable, but there were characters like that I was legitimately interested in, which I guess I hadn't really experienced outside of the maybe the abstraction of when we were talking as yes, the original Final Fantasy, where I could I could make up 
what was going on with Fighter and what was going on with White Mage. Because they've had that, le- I guess, maybe that level of, hmm, not gravitas, but they- they've had that, maybe the customer desire to experience more of what is happening with these characters. I can definitely understand from a, not only from a business standpoint, but also a creative standpoint about building a little bit more on on what they have in place already. Well, what I'm, yeah. uh, what I'm saying, what I'm getting at is the, the business is driving the creative, uh, the business well, of having one world easier to develop. Uh, if you already have all the models built, easier to develop a game. I mean, I think this will tend to use the third of the staff as 10 uh, of people who are already familiar with how to build it. So there's a business side of it that's kind of driving the creative side of it. It's cheaper to make 10 2 than it is to make 10. Uh, and I think you see that with some of their other iterations. It's probably cheaper to make 13 2 than it is to make 13. Well, it's cheaper okay. to make 4 2 than it is to make 4 because all the well, all the pieces are already there. All right. So the After Years, which is the sequel to Final Fantasy 4, was actually a mobile phone game. Right. So they were, you know, I don't know how many of those assets were were re reused assets, and of course they've remade the After Years like six times. And right. part of the problem with thirteen two is that it actually is a byproduct of thirteen's dev cycle, where Final Fantasy thirteen was originally supposed to be a PS two game, then they changed it up and made it a PS three game, and the creative team just had way more content that would ever fit and then would ever fit even into a final fantasy title right (laughs) so 13 2 is actually a lot of things that were planned for 13 that didn't make it into 13 um yeah so i don't think they went into the 13 deal thinking they were going to make multiple final fantasy 13s and you'll notice how they were a what is going to be Final Fantasy XV was originally going to be in that same... Their marketing term was Fabula Nova Crystallis, right? They were going to have all of yeah. these games that were together under that banner. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. They were going to have between... multiple games under one banner. <laughs> like, well, I'm like... sort of halfway between you and Jim in this, yeah. right? And that I think Square is all about exploiting existing IP nowadays, right? Yeah. Like, and, and they made some genuinely just terrible things final fantasy all the bravest just makes me very sad (laughs) and on the other hand though and they also don't know how to price anything for mobile i'm just gonna say that right now like if you look at anything square makes on the on the app store it makes you want to cry that they don't understand how mobile stuff is supposed to be priced (laughs) on the other hand though i do i like i think and 10-2 was really the first game that they made where it was like, okay, we built this huge universe and it seems silly to not keep telling stories in it right. when we have the ability to keep telling stories in it, right? Especially so, given know. its I'm... popularity. So yeah. I'm not knocking on Square. <laughs> I think it's a good idea to ex- extend a universe uh, if, it's, if it's worthy of it. But I'm just saying before 10, I would argue that like they were trying to Everything, every game was trying to wrapped up in itself, you know, oh, It'd yeah. start end, and be completely contained. And this was probably the first attempt to have an extended uh, universe around each, each, each series title. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And well, and to a point also, I mean, these games were also coming out. These were like, you know, like between like seven, eight and nine, didn't they all come out like within like three to four years of each other? Eight, nine, 10 and 11. Yeah. Yeah. Like. 
these were these were already coming out at an extremely extremely fast like yeah. fast pace and like almost I feel like in a way like I know I certainly got I just got exhausted from this series I guess due to uh, one due to not only the the uh, the time commitment but also kind of the emotional commitment as well of starting over every I don't know when I finish one for another one coming out maybe like every nine months or so seven eight nine all came out while I was doing my undergrad mm-hmm. so and I know that seven came out in ninety seven yes in the U.S. So they all came out between 97 and 2001. So yeah. that was three Final Fantasies in four years, which, considering Final Fantasy 15 has been in development since 1944, <laughs> uh, seems nonsensical nowadays, right? Yeah. And even 11 come out, comes out right in that time. So it's like, I, th- I thought 11 came out in two, oh two. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's like a very, I feel like that's a very different beast, though. So let's, let's, you know, get back to, to Final Fantasy X two and, and I guess what what it did that really uh, that really kind of stood out out to you, Todd. I know you have a you have a, a piece that was that you wrote on your blog, uh, Chaotic Blue, that I recommend all our listeners go to and bookmark immediately. That uh, where it was a response to uh, there was an old claim of on Wired about the death of Final Fantasy because everyone likes to claim that ev- that everything is a death of something just because there is a minute change in this uh, in this like personal contextualization of what uh, of a given brand or IP or the like and so like I said, Final Fantasy X2 did some pretty uh like it really broke away from especially a lot of the tone in Final Fantasy X so I was wondering if you could uh, go into a little bit about again like what what changed with Final Fantasy X2 at least for uh, you practically everything <laughs> i well no it's it's really different and so here is a very short list of things yeah i'm going to try to be as abbreviated as possible because i could effectively talk about this subject forever one ladies i mean the the all the all women playable cast was a big departure and it's and it's the sort of playable cast that actually I think as much as I love Final Fantasy XII, does not come back again until thirteen. The soundtrack was a big departure. To up through Final Fantasy IX, soundtracks had pretty much only been Nobu Uematsu, and I just mauled his name really bad because I'm sort of sleepy and slurring. Um, <laughs> but they were all kind of like rippling orchestral scores, the the sweeping sort of thing that uh, the guy who wrote that. God, Damn, Final Fantasy is dead. Oh, God, I'm angry all over again. He was just like, the fact that we have concerts of Uematsu's music, right, was proof that it was art. Yeah. Get over yourself, lady. Um, (laughs) But, and so Ten's soundtrack, uh, Uematsu started to phase out. He only wrote part of it, and then the rest of it was, um, I forget the third person, but the the other, one of the other composers was Masashi Kamazu, who had been working in the Saga series up to that point. Um, and then Ten Two's soundtrack was by Noriko Matsueda and Takahito Iguchi. And Final Fantasy Ten Two's soundtrack is pop electronica. Um, it is a sharp, sharp departure from the sort of music we had heard in Final Fantasy to this point. As we had started to have theme songs with Eight, you know, Eight had Eyes on Me, Nine had Melodies of Life, and they were kind of these... Right, like they were these very kind of operatic 
nonsense right. things, right? What's the theme song of Final Fantasy X-2? There is kind of a ballad in X-2, but it starts with a pop song, right? It starts at a right. pop concert. So this kind of pop music electronica vibe from the soundtrack was also threaded through the design of the game, too. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, you're completely right. Like it, it takes that that kind of I would say kind of som- sort of somber tone, or maybe this uh, I would say ex- excessively kind of self serious tone, and really and, and really kind of matches it up with the eternal lightness of being within this game. And that <laughs> there's there's so many, I guess there's so many different components to it that that really imply that like this is. This is the post, like this is the post end of world scenario. This, this is, is the after party for ten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly. pretty much it. And we need to have a baller DJ for this. <laughs> Basically, there's other things too, like the the script. Final Fantasy games usually had pretty decent writing. Ten two's script was amazing. They got it pitch perfect. It was funny. It was quippy. It had very kind of... Sna- I am, like, physically incapable of snapping my fingers, which is why I'm not doing it right now. But it had, like, really kind of snappy, <laughs> quick dialogue. Right? The in-game combat barks were really... Thank you. <laughs> the in-game combat barks were all these fantastic jokes. Like, you'll start a fight, and Riku will be like, Dr. P is in the house, and Pain just goes, stop that. Right? Like, <laughs> Those were fantastic. There's a very tiny change. Whenever you get loot, like out of a treasure chest or whatever in Final Fantasy X-2, it says you scored and then the name of the item that you picked up, right? So if you got an elixir, it would say you scored an elixir, right? That is the tiniest little change. But I love that about X-2. They're like, okay, this game is clearly just not the way Final Fantasy used to be. So we can't just go with a... You got to think from a chest, I mm-hmm. guess. Right? Like, I am I have a very easy time imagining Riku going, yeah, we scored an elixir! Right? Like, just <laughs> Terra Strong being super excited about it. So, yeah, big, big sweeping changes of tone in Ten Two compared to the very, like, rich, if typical, fantasy stories that we were getting to that point. Yeah, no more s- solemn hero stuff with this thing. It's more like, an explosion of of joy and and an excitement in a lot of in a lot of the 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 yeah and a lot of the pieces of it the game knows what fun and joy are yeah i mean as much as i enjoy previous final fantasies they're sad yeah, <laughs> like, yeah even they're mostly I mean, about people you love dying and bad things happening to you so yeah which even is nice 10 mishandles I mean, joy like 10 yeah. mishandles joy epically with that silly titus laugh scene <laughs> like Poor Johnny and Bosch. Did he know what he was getting into? They just handed him the script and go, can you laugh as if you were a donkey that's on fire? <laughs> and he, being a consummate professional, says, yes, I can. Yeah. Could you pronounce each ha for me, please? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not hear, hear you pronounce the first one correctly. Just pronounce it five times in a row. As if... <laughs> So oh, yeah. I think the, the, the quintessential uh, piece of this new joy or this new kind of take is the dress fears, right? I mean, the dress me up Final Fantasy, right? So my God, outfits. <laughs> so many outfits. 
I spent probably the most, again, I spent all so much time in this game just, and even, even like, again, for preparing for this episode, it's like, I just have the Wikipedia entry just open to this with just all of the images in my head, just like, with my head kind of cocked to the side about like, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about this? You switch jobs in the fly, right? Mm. Yes, in the which, middle of combat. Which yeah. one? And switching I... jobs means switching outfits through a magical girl style transformation. Yes. Which is an amazing touch. I want more. I want that. I want that in my games. Same so, IMO. And then there's usually like a cool yeah. animation. It's not just like the clothes change, but then like I think a couple of them, there's like someone like a, uh, comes out of the ground. Or like they always like have like these oh, cool like how they some come of them actually are, into the fight. Some of them are bonkers. Alchemist, like when you switch into Alchemist, once the change is complete, you literally shoot a hole in reality and then dive out of it while Michael Bay explosions fire off behind <laughs> right. you and you pose with your gun. That's what Alchemist does. And I remember the first time I saw that going, what does this even have to do with potions, which is the focus of the class? And then I followed it up with, I don't care. That was amazing. Like, <laughs> which I feel like that is actually, that's like the motto of this game, right? Just, I don't care. This I is don't amazing. care. That looked great. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. And like, so I, I like being able to like, to change things up on the fly. I always feel, I always feel really like restricted in, in general, like in like tree systems and the like, I want to be able to play like I want to play, except in this case, because everything was, was almost like very visually oriented. It almost got to the point now we're like, yeah, so technically these jobs do something different. I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested in like just beating this fight in as stylish as possible and just looking hella good in the in the process. Combat wise, you don't actually have to change all that much, but that is good because it means you can change when you want to. Mm-hmm. Right? That no. if you're just like I'm tired of shooting a gun, I think I'm going to turn into a gambler who's wearing an inexplicably revealing gown and who literally attacks by throwing playing cards at people. Well, and, and of course, the, the strongest dress spheres, the ones that have the most power, are giant animal costumes. Also, some of the, like, the, the most wild dress spheres are the ones, I guess, ones that you get for like special fights, like Payne's like, rollerball thunderdome, just like Oh, I'm going suit? to wear swords. Yeah, just wearing them. I'm going to wear a cage made of swords, and then we just... Okay, let's hug. Let's just... We're doing this. I, the best I was re- part of that is that that dress sphere is, is an in-joke. Is The name of it is an in-joke to the Charlie's Angels movies. What? Because the name of the dress sphere is Full Throttle. And so <laughs> so to explain to explain those dress spheres, because, oh my God, they're... Redonk. So... There's no Aeon summoning, right? Like, Yuna's not a summoner because there's no more summons mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy X-2. That, that was a plot thing from X, right? So instead of summons, each of, the, each of the ladies has a special dress sphere that is kind of like a summon. Basically, you change into it by changing into every other one that you can change into, which then unlocks your ultimate outfit, right? And so they, your other two party members disappear, and you get, like, two auxiliary fake party members that are part of your outfits. <laughs> so Yuna's costume, which is this giant, like, Brazil carnival flower costume, has, like, two 
Gradius option subflowers that have their own like lists of special attacks and stuff that you use, right? Pain, like you said, has this giant, I'm going to turn swords into a bird as an outfit, <laughs> which she then wears. Riku just straight up gets a mech. Yeah. Which. <laughs> Why not? I don't, right? I don't so care. It's, just... it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, who's the tailor for that, right? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's my mech tailor. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back on one more turn. Welcome back to one more turn where we're talking Final Fantasy X2. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. I'm Todd. So, Todd, so- this is a question for you. Okay. Spheres. Please explain to me how you record, vid- how a video recording sphere works. I'm sorcery. That's going to be my guess. <laughs> Geo- also, I just want to say the way you said spheres now has me going in my head. Spheres. Oh my god, spheres. These spheres rule. These spheres suck. Which actually, I just described the very first story mission of Final Fantasy X Two. Now that I think about it, these spheres rule. These spheres suck. Um. <laughs> right. We have we the memory spheres, the dress spheres. This there's the doppelganger sphere that uh, that LeBlanc is running. There is so there's the video there's the video spheres run by the kid character who's also secretly the romantic lead in Louie that I just found out. Um, <laughs> Blitzball's a sphere. To- yeah. <laughs> the core I, for that thing is a as sphere. A brief, as a brief aside here, Kevin, uh, I kind of fell into an IMDb rabbit hole talking with Todd last night because uh, I have a personal fascination by looking up the VAs in games or cartoons, identifying who, what else that they've done, and then mixing and causing like making the big like swaparuskis between the all of those all of those entities so in this case it is like oh all of a sudden our tech lead on our ship is now uh bobby hill from king of the hill <laughs> and you know and, and all of a sudden like waka waka is is bender and um I'm, 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 i forgot what the character's name is but he's basically yakko warner and like oh my gosh it's like all of these all of the the there's like so many different famous voices in that but Regarding spheres, there's a very geometric focused d- design in a lot of the in a lot of the architecture. Actually, like if you look back at the, um, if you go back to like the the opening intro and the 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 stadium, the the, the excuse me, like the big pop performance at the beginning that that the credits roll to. If you look at the the design of the stage and the floating, or even like the floating elements to it, everything there is in very very strong geometric shapes. A lot of like hard pentagons, hexagons. Everything looks like a soccer ball just flattened out. That is the architectural design of the calm, I guess. <laughs> well, that's okay. So no, but that stadium is actually the Blitzball Stadium. Yeah. It's the very same place where they play Bitsball on Final Fantasy X. So that actually has been there for untold centuries. But, okay, well, I'm guessing that the, like, giant Buddha drum platform thing that floats <laughs> is not actually part of the default Blitzball stadium <laughs> setup. <laughs> well, Ten's, Ten's world in general was heavily, its design anyway, was heavily influenced by Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bisaid, which is where Yuna lived, is very heavily, and Kilika, which is like the nearest 
island over. Their design were very heavily influenced by by traditional Okinawan clothing and architecture and stuff like that. But spheres, yeah. to yes. answer the original question, right. are this sort of like camcorder th- telepathy fusion <laughs> device. Um, they're actually they're like ancient, ancient, ancient magical technology in in the games in game universe, right? Like they go back to the original, like when Xanarkand was still a thing, right? So we're talking like a thousand years plus mm-hmm. at this point. For those who've never played it, the whole idea of Ten Two is that. In the, the in-game world, which is called Spira, um, Sin, this giant laser humpback whale, which is the only way I can think to describe him, uh, <laughs> Sin has been steadily wiping out human civilization on like a 20 to 30 year loop for the past thousand years, right? At the end of Final Fantasy X, you finally kill, Yuna finally gets rid of Sin, right? Mm-hmm. So this ushers in this period called the Eternal Calm. Like there used to be calms. Mm-hmm. That would happen between sin attacks. Now there's sin is gone, so calm forever. Right. Um, but the deal is that sin was systematically, if you if you look into the story, the story beats of ten, sin was systematically destroying human civilization so that it didn't build up too far. Right. Oh, it was so like it was, a reaper. It was a reaper effect. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. And so now, so this means that with cities, like, just getting wiped off the map on a regular basis, there was very little consistent, like, history. People didn't really have a sense of what their world was like. So this class of mercenary slash adventurers called Sphere Hunters emerged, and they hunt spheres. And the idea is that they're looking for spheres that contain useful information, memories, history right because those things are now at a premium those things are really valuable and the plot impetus of 10-2 is that riku who is yuna's cousin riku finds a sphere that she thinks is of titus the the lead from final fantasy 10 who is now gone right he disappears at the end of 10 Mm. and so yuna is now looking for for Spheres with you. Uh, Yuna's now looking for spheres that are going to tell her more about this guy. And, you know, the idea of dress spheres is that you are actually wearing the telepathically summoned memories of people who used to do this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right? So you use the Black Mage dress sphere and you're actually like channeling a Black Mage from the past and using their skills. And right. wearing their clothes. And, yeah, and wearing their clothes. Real quick, if you could replace your wardrobe right now with dress spheres and summon clothing from the past, would you do it? Oh, totally. <laughs> that you could just immediately change on the fly with some great uh, transformation animation as well. Just I can't believe you're even asking me this question. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I wish the people you? at home could see the, like, Sailor Moon spin that Jim just did in his apartment because it was actually really awesome. <laughs> just hands up, twirling around. It was nice. It was good. Yeah, a big flash of light that just that that just silhouetted <laughs> myself. He's actually oh. wearing a wedding gown right now. <laughs> it happened before our very eyes. <laughs> I'm sorry you missed it, listeners. It's a it was a once in a lifetime experience. That good internet radio. <laughs> and there's Tuxedo Mask just strolling into Jim's... Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just... I'm the play-by-play now. 
Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. What do Blitzball's announcers even do for a living anymore? <laughs> yeah. So we've we've talked a bit about the immense diversion of this game from the rest of the against the series and like the utmost I think respect, I think we all you know, just a fascination that we all have for it. I kind of want to know, Todd, like, how has how has your your opinion of of maybe of your experiences with this game how has that changed over time for you for based on for like when you originally played it uh, to now. So here's the story of what was in my life when Final Fantasy X-2 came out. I had just lost my job. I was, oh, this is 2003, so I was mm-hmm. 25-ish. Yeah. I was living with my parents, which was really depressing. I had no money, which was really depressing. My parents had just been forced to leave their home in Milwaukee, where I was living with them, to move to literally the middle of nowhere in Minnesota, which was really depressing. I couldn't find a job, which was really depressing. Are you sensing a theme? So that game came out, and I just sort of descended into it like a hot bath. It was exactly what I needed at that point in my life. It was absolutely a way for me to be like, oh my God, I'm playing this game about these awesome ladies and they're quippy and they're wearing great outfits and I'm having a really fun time. And other things that are like the battle system is actually like really fun and quick and, you know, interestingly paced. And I played, I think my PS2 save when I last looked at it, which was a long time ago, but my PS2 save in which I unlocked everything and everything and everything, right? Had like 140 hours on it. That's where I was in my life, right? And that was the level at which I appreciated 10-2. I think now as an adult, uh, and especially as a queer adult, I look back on 10-2 and I look at other like fandom's reaction to 10-2 and the fact that my gay as hell Final Fantasy about awesome ladies uh, and outfits pisses off Final Fantasy fan bros just brings a warm feeling (laughs) to my heart so I think I have gained an extra appreciation of it as an adult right for the things it does that I really loved and the things it was giving me that I maybe didn't see that I needed I I drink Final Fantasy 10 to hater tears for breakfast every morning (laughs) It will keep me eternally young. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the Should... Final Fantasy bro dress fair, what that looks like. Oh, gosh. Snow I... from 13. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but. Uh, yeah, so Kevin, actually, I can ask, ask you a similar question. Um, what? You've you've played this game and you've played this as well. So like, what yeah. what are you what are your thoughts on or at least you know, how have your thoughts on the game changed from when you first played it? Yeah, so I'm in a similar uh, boat. Uh, is that you know I I, I in a similar I, ship. Everything in this similar, game is a metaphor I'm, is a ship metaphor, and I'm I don't understand simil- it. I'm in a similar sphere. Sail a ship with uh, me as its captain. <laughs> Shut up, Nuge. Nobody likes you. All right, sorry. <laughs> Inside <laughs> voices. My bad. <laughs> I, I, I bought this originally when it came out, like day one purchase kind of thing. Uh, I just like the, I always liked the writing of Final Fantasy, and I always saw how like they're like they're gonna do this huge departure, and I was like, great, I'm on board. Let's stop being so morose and sad all the time. <laughs> like let's let's try something new. Uh, and I liked it. I always enjoyed it. I liked just because I like 
I liked Final Fantasy. I may have been one of these Final Fantasy bros that you're talking about. <laughs> if you um, really were, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, shit, I guess not. Yeah, I had all my issues were with were minor. Were more like you know, uh, I don't like how they brought Titus back because him dying at the end of the first one was kind of a great moment of because it's sad, and I'd rather hold on to that memory and moment than him coming back fifty times in the second one. But that's just me. It was all personal. It was all just like, eh, you know, there's cha- thing, little things I'd change, but I still really enjoyed it because it was just a, a complete departure from what it was before. Uh, but looking at it now, I really appreciate it because I still feel like there's not games that do this that are just stupid fun and and like that are are focused have like a have cool, interesting female characters. There's just still not that going on right now. Uh, so from that scope, I do appreciate. I mean, I, I'm, I've told Jim this a million times. I'm a huge Bayonetta fan. <laughs> I like want stuff like that. That is just. Both. I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> like I just want something different than solemn white dude all the time. Like they get so, so not even. And it's not even about a white dude. It's just solemn. I hate. I think video games take themselves too seriously. A. And, fucking men <laughs> yeah, and it'd be nice it's nice when you see them not take themselves seriously it is a fun it's f- actually fun <laughs> which is yeah. what they're supposed to be yeah it's interesting it's, you're, you're also describing the episodic nature like how the game is like broken up into little mm. episodes which is also it's a very small it's a very small difference formatting wise of how the the game's content is i guess is broken up as opposed to like just kind of general acts or Generally, it's really kind of bro- most, you know, role-playing games are kind of broken up by by location. Because it this is, it even strictly says, like, oh, this is the episode. There is that kind of, like, poppy, almost just kind of television feel to it. And that this is, this is kind of, like, this more uh, kind of upbeat and... I don't, I don't want to say, like, kind of, like, rom-com effect of this. But rather, like, again, like, this is... It, this is an adventure show. You know, this is in a way like this is kind of your your one piece or um, or, or something. I guess something kind of similar to that. You know, also because this is you know two thousand and three, back before every television show wasn't dreadful, not in quality, but in, in terrible tone. but idiosyncratically useful people. Yeah, <laughs> like House. Exactly. Right? Like yes, I'm a real you. good doctor, but I'm a terrible human being that you'd probably like to hit with your car, right? Like so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I would say here's my comparison. As long as as long as we're talking about terrible television. So and it might even be from about the same time. Do you remember Pamela Anderson having an hour long syndicated show about being a bodyguard? Yes. VIP? Yes. That show was awful. <laughs> yes. It was the best thing I've ever seen. And Final Fantasy Ten Two is the VIP of JRPGs. <laughs> like, if you've never, I'm so sad that VIP has been lost to the ages because that show was nonsense in the best possible way. Like Pamela Anderson was so self-aware in digging at herself on that show that it became amazing like the show is about this um this woman named valerie irons who is just kind of an incompetent hollywood socialite right she inherits a bodyguard business and the bodyguard business is staffed of like 
superheroes, right? Like super yeah. hackers and a former Spetsnaz and just all that other good stuff, right? And yet, it's always Val who saves the day by doing something just completely ridiculous and off the wall because she's just Sarah Hollywood, right? And oh my god, the show was just... I mean, the production values were miserable and the right. writing was execrable, but it was funny and it was campy and it was just fun to watch. When I tell my students to talk about games, I tell them to avoid the word fun because it's kind of hopelessly subjective. Right. But I have been using the word joy a lot. Like this game has a feeling of joy in the same way that VIP was a very stupid show <laughs> that was still had a feeling of joy to it, right? And it, like it sort of reveled in how stupid it was. And I don't necessarily think that Ten Two is stupid, but it does sort of like, look, it has a side quest where you solve a mystery and the, the mystery branches. There's like three or four different ways that it can end up. And one of them is a straight up Scooby-Doo parody complete with somebody voiced by the person who's currently voicing Shaggy and Scooby-Doo stuff, uh. pulling an actual Shaggy in game. There's an ending to that quest where Rin, the travel agency guy from Final Fantasy X, turns out to be like a world-class conspiracy theorist in like an 80s cartoon villain sort of way where he arranged the whole thing himself to become rich, <laughs> right? Like, that was not a thing Final Fantasy had done to that point. A Scooby-Doo parody is unthinkable in Final Fantasy to that point. And yet in Ten Two, it works seamlessly. Yeah. So, Jim, you know, uh, oh. playing it then, playing it now, what's, you know, thoughts on Final Fantasy X2, X2, 12? Okay. 12. Sure. <laughs> on Mega Man X2. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mentioned it a little bit when we had uh, when we had Lindsay Pavlis on to talk Final Fantasy VIII, but I was done with Final Fantasy after Final Fantasy VII, really just because I got caught up in the, the, I got caught up in the hype. And the game I did not enjoy. And I said, Welp, I will not listen to anything anyone else ever says again regarding anything because I didn't like this video game. And I never have since. So I've I've had a lot of trouble separating. During that time period, I'll say you know, between 1998 and 2000. And I'll say up through 2005 even. That I, that I have trouble differentiating the product from the fans and obviously that's a that's a problem that i think we all have to some extent when i saw final fantasy tend to come out that was also a time period when also i was act that was the first time in my life i was actively looking up new anime and identifying a lot of genres that i did not really care for and i mistakenly kind of associated oh final fantasy tend to i look at the cover art I look at some of these kind of garbage shows that are coming out. I'm like, oh, this is just fan service. Yeah, that is. Those are the words I used when I was what 15, 16 when this came out. <laughs> la, la la, I can't hear you. I yeah, was <laughs> when the game came out. Shut up, God. What are you twelve? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. That um, made it out of my mouth. Yeah, I went back through, and in preparation for this for this episode, I act, I sat through a three-hour YouTube video that was a collection of all of the cutscenes of this game. To at least familiar, I I done a bunch of reading on it, um, just throughout 
um, you know, whether there were, there are a couple essays just through like unwinnable or on, on critical distance. Actually, there's a really good, um, in addition to, in addition to some of, uh, Todd's essays, which we'll, we'll put in our show notes. Uh, there's a really good one, uh, from, from Gita Jackson on wardrobe theory on Yuna. That is an exceptional piece that I will also include in specifically about like, what does Yuna's costume like, what is the kind of the practical approach to this? If this is the angle she's going for, how about, like, these suggestions? And uh, I kind of, and I've been looking up a lot of different clothing brands since then. So what I've kind of realized over time is that I really enjoy fashion. Not, not necessarily, you know, not fashion shows or the like. I just really like being able to change the way that I'm dressed and have it provide a different visual message in a way in a way much like changing a, a job in a way not not in the not in the literal context but rather again like whether here is the here's what i'm trying to portray right now and in this case as i'm recording this in my newfound wedding dress i am providing <laughs> that i am that i have undergone a, a great transformation that unfortunately the listeners have missed mm-hmm Unfortunately, I I don't I don't think I'm gonna go back and play this. Mostly again due to due to length, but after watching after watching the cutscenes and again like giggling with so much joy, giggling with so much glee at again at a lot of the dial again at the dialogue at the quips at the voices just at at all like literally just from start to finish like the very end of the game this game like. Riku delivers this this line in explaining why the Vanga bus can be defeated. <laughs> and that's And it's this great it's this great moment that I identified from the Warriors. In the Warriors they explain, "Why did you do this?" And the leader of the rogues just says, "I just like doing things like that." And it's this it's 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 incredibly self-aware. It knows how ridiculous this is. And in this case, they say, hey, how can we beat this last... Like, I don't think we can beat this last boss. And her response is literally, want to know why we can beat it? Because people built it. Hands wiped. We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great... In that last... In that final sequence, there's another great moment where Nuge and Gipple and Barilai, the three hunks sitting on the mm-hmm. rock, um, are like okay, we're gonna take down Vegnagun and we're probably gonna die in the process, but that's our duty. They're like, that's our plan. And Yuna stares yes! all three in the face and says, "I don't like your plan. It sucks." Plan, yeah, it <laughs> sucks. That is the oh my god, I lost my mind during that. <laughs> that moment is perfect. It is literally my perfect RPG moment where the three white bros are like, "We're gonna fix this." In our sacrificial masculine way, and Yuna just straight up says, "Your plan sucks." <laughs> I love it. Your plan sucks. You suck. Get out of the way. <laughs> and then, and that's what happens, right? Isn't that Yuna's just like, "I'm actually going to go to the top of this, whatever the hell it is. I'm going to find the guy who's just sad." Like. Yeah. The final boss is just sad ghost Titus. Yes. Even though he's not, well, it's not really him, but it looks like him, right? right? Like, it uses his character model from 10. <laughs> and, like, how do you beat sad ghost Titus? Yuna's just like, let's have a chat about 
feelings. And that's basically how 10-2 ends. At least in terms of, like, wrapping up the whole... Yeah, I don't like your plan. It's a little hug and a there, there. Yeah, (laughs) and like I said, I, I was, I was almost crying at that point, especially when, like during the during the ending cutscene, is when they summon the spirit of, of sad ghost's girlfriend ghost. Who is the songstress dress fear you've been using the whole game? Yeah, right. (laughs) Oops, sorry, sad ghost. (laughs) I've been appropriating your girlfriend. (laughs) Pretty much. And, and like and so the two spirits meet each other and this is supposed to be like the first time they've seen each other in a thousand years and this may be the last time they ever get a moment together and someone are like wow this is going to be this great moment and the first words out of Len's mouth is like this is the is like the Martians from Sesame Street just hi there <laughs> i just lost it just like nope i can't handle this anymore <laughs> Hey there, champ. Uh, (laughs) There, uh, (laughs) I hear you used an ancient super weapon to try to destroy all life because you were sad about not being with me anymore. Hey, maybe don't. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. You're like, maybe don't. It's cool. Let's still hang. Like, you know, you're still cute. Let's, uh, you know, let's still hang out. (laughs) And the best part is that, like the the guys who Yuna told off before they went off to fight the final boss are just sitting there dumbfounded that Yuna's plan of love worked. <laughs> They're just sitting there staring at this going on, going, what just happened? I don't understand. <laughs> right. I guess they did miss that concert when she kind of accidentally summoned the memory of, I guess, the fall of the two of them. Yeah. Which I can tell you, that must have been a trippy show. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, we're here to see the High Summoner perform. Oh man, I can't wait to see her because her clone is super is such an amazing performer. And then just all of a sudden in the background, there's just this image of like of love and and like unity, and then they all get shot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh I don't remember this being part of any stage performance. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm I've understood that you know there have been a lot of um, so maybe you have some pretty yeah. eclectic advances in stage performance recently, but I think having displaying ancient memories of lovers being shot yeah, but just is just a little con- much. Just the concept. Think if you went to like yeah like uh, Mariah Carey concert and all of a sudden she's showing real footage of people dying in the background and like that would be that's insane. Just that idea. Sorry, I'm just imagining people people sitting there in the Thunder Plane staring at each other going, I like Yuna more before she sold out. <laughs> okay, having now accidentally killed Jim. That's that's my hyena laugh. That's a good laugh. So thanks for joining us, Todd. Where where can people where can people find more of Todd Harper? Is there anything you'd like to promote? Pretty much everything I produce that's worth reading goes on my blog, which is, as previously stated, chaoticblueallonework.com slash blog. I occasionally write for Paste Games. Uh, I have some stuff that hopefully will be coming out with them soon. I would not recommend following me on Twitter if you ever want to see anyone else in your Twitter feed post ever again. Um, So I'm just going to leave that out. But... uh, and also, if you're curious, I'm actually giving a talk at GDC on um, 
Portrayals and Pitfalls of Fatness in Games. Okay, so guess what, Internet? When you are actually hearing this, <laughs> I will be at GDC giving my talk. Um, but it'll be, it, it's in the advocacy track, so that means it'll be free in the vault after oh. about, I think, a couple months. So oh, fantastic. anyone can see it. Nice. Talking, nice. talking about why we should be nicer to fat people in video games. Thank you for listening. One more turn is produced, created, and hosted by James Staholsky and Kevin King. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, please email us at one more turn podcast at gmail.com. If you have any comments or questions for us directly, you can tweet us. I am at Yonder Hillside, Jim. At Fuzziest Kitty. And Todd. I'm just going to spell this because pronouncing it is pointless. Um, L A E V A N T I N E. And warning, I tweet an awful lot <laughs> IED is courtesy of Pixel Hate Office album and the Revolution you can find more of his music at pixelh8.co.uk Blue Paint is courtesy of Breakbeat Heartbeat and the Waveform Generators off Breakbeat's album 2206 you can find more of Breakbeat's music at soundcloud.com slash breakbeat heartbeat Kevin Kevin what are you going to do next week show and tell question mark show <laughs> question and tell mark? two show and tell two I'm most impressed by this on the wiki page, the picture of the three faction leaders. Have you seen this art? Oh, hunk Post number one, hunk number two, and hunk number three. It is, yes. But they are what? all, sorry, this is going to get really random. But I'm trying to picture if like, oh, like, I wonder if like, had they really posed for this? <laughs> like, like, who's the person that's like, all right, <laughs> news, you stand in the front, you sit on that rock. <laughs> that's just <laughs> Fidel you're in the back so you everybody nobody look at the camera nobody look at the camera anyway I just I just want to I just want to be that painter it helps <laughs> that Nuge's um Nuge's voice is George Newbern so he, you know when I hear Superman's voice coming out of that body I'm like <laughs> <laughs>